Good morning. Happy Father's Day. It's good to be with you guys today. Uh, without further ado, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Man, there's a lot of people out. Wow. Uh, one, one really neat thing, I don't know, some of you guys might know who, uh, who Savannah is. She's a, a little, um, little gal that comes with, is gal okay to say? Is that still all right? Gal for girl? Anyway, little, little, she's a young, a young lady who comes with uh, the Thomases periodically, and you may remember um, the Watsons who have come with the Thomases uh, once or twice. They came to, for Brindley's baptism, and the Thomases are out today to go to Savannah's baptism, which is really awesome and exciting, so um, that's just a great thing. Anyway, I uh, just wanted to share that with you guys. We're going to be reading through the end of chapter 15 of Acts today, and so I believe you're going to find our text to be both challenging and helpful as we go along. Um, so I want to just ask, let's stand and read it together. We haven't done this in a while. Let's stand and read it together. And then uh, we'll, we'll get the big picture by reading it together. And then we'll go back and we'll tackle it just a, a piece at a time. So starting in verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Paul, Mark, with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's, let's bow. Father God, we ask in Jesus' name that you'll open our hearts to receive this message. I'm really excited about preaching it, Lord, just knowing that uh, this is something we all need so much. So, um, Father, just help us to, to be receptive, and I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that gives us the ears to hear. And we ask that you will help us to, to um, have a wonderful Father's Day and to remember to encourage one another and strengthen one another, as your word says in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, while the kids are finding the bingo pictures, did any of you notice something that seemed out of place in that passage? Anybody ever watch Sesame Street? Do you remember that, you know, one of these things is not like the other? You know, it's, it's kind of like that. Have you noticed there's, there's this one in the middle of the story with all this unity and all this encouraging stuff. There's a sentence that seemed almost out of place, almost discouraging compared to everything else going on around it. Anybody pick up on what I'm referring to here? Right, the, the contention, the sharp disagreement. So that Paul and Barnabas separated from one another. That's kind of surprising, don't you think, in the midst of all this, this great stuff that's been happening? 
And since this, this particular sentence is kind of the elephant in the room, I wanted to address that before we get into the, the theme of the sermon. See, Paul and Barnabas, they, they had a falling out based around another guy that was in the story named John Mark, who most, most scholars agree he was the same guy that wrote um, the Gospel of Mark, because he was also called simply Mark. Um, but if you remember, he had been connected with Paul and Barnabas before. This is uh, the book of Acts first mentions him at the end of chapter 12, okay? He went on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, and he was kind of an assistant to them, which, which by the way, um, back when I preached on chapter 13, I thought that, that he was talking about John the Apostle when he said John. Uh, Luke wasn't. He was actually referring to John Mark. I, I, was, I didn't make the connection to chapter 12, and that's my fault. But anyway, John Mark was with them on the, on the journey, at first, but before they got very far, he got homesick or, or something. It doesn't specify, but he went back to Jerusalem. And apparently that upset Paul, you know, and, and Paul was kind of, I guess, like a once bitten, twice shy kind of guy when it comes to, you know, mission trips. So he didn't really want John Mark to come along. And we know, we know from Colossians 4 that John Mark was related to Barnabas. And so there might have been, you know, a, a little nepotism going on there, I don't know, but, but cousin Barney didn't want to leave his, his cousin behind, and Paul didn't want to take him again. And so these, these two giants of the faith, Paul and Barnabas, they chose to go their separate ways. And y'all, it was, it was tempting to make their rift a bigger focal point in this message, but after spending some time in the Word, I, I didn't feel like that's what it was supposed to, to be. And so, uh, yes, two Christians disagreed, even sharply. And Scripture doesn't necessarily tell us that either of them was right or wrong in their opinion. What we do know is this. Barnabas took Mark, and Paul took Silas, and they went in separate directions. So as a result, instead of one three-man team going on one trip, we end up with a couple of two-man teams that went on two mission trips. So this may not have been an ideal situation, but it doesn't change the fact that God used it perhaps to reach twice as big an audience. And we also know from later in Paul's writings that he and Barnabas never let this, this disagreement interfere with their relationship as brothers in Christ. And we know that Paul ended up changing his mind about Mark. In 2 Timothy, the apostle wrote, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. These last two probably weren't desertions. They were probably legitimate missionary stuff. Um, Luke alone is with me. He says, yes, and that's this Luke, this author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. And so, whether he was right or wrong to exclude Mark from his second missionary journey, Mark's relationship with Barnabas and his own time in the mission field apparently matured him to the place where there was no more strain with Paul. In fact, they became partners in ministry. And this is a really valuable lesson for us Christians, I think, because in our, in our fallen nature, we're sometimes quick to write someone off, you know, based on a bad experience, just one. And the fact is, we don't know what God is going to do in a person. And so it's good to be open to giving second chances. And it occurs to me as I'm, as I'm saying this out loud that, bless you, that both this church 
and the previous congregation that I ministered to, in both of those situations, I was an associate or a youth guy at that church years before. And yet they still hired me back as senior pastor, which means that you guys already know, to some extent, that God does amazing things in immature people. And he helps us to grow, and that's part of the process. Anyway, um, that, that's all I want to say about their disagreement for now, because again, that, that is not what I felt led to preach on. Instead, I want to talk with you guys about the need for encouragement in the Christian life, the need for encouragement. And, and I'm going to back up just a little bit, because I don't know how many times I've read through the book of Acts in my life. It's probably, probably at least in the dozens, but this is the first time preaching through it. And i got to tell you that, that God is, is so faithful to reveal stuff to us when we slow down. You know, we try to, it's kind of like when you, when you chew your food, you digest it better, you know. If you just kind of hork it down, then you, you don't really digest it as well. When you slow down in the Word and you spend more time studying it, man, God shows you some really good stuff. I never had noticed before just how many times in the book of Acts we see Christians encouraging one another. And then I started thinking about it. It's not just in the book of Acts. You read through the epistles, and, and especially Paul's epistles, but they talk so frequently in their letters, the apostles do, about, about encouraging and about being encouraged by other Christians. And it hit me that I don't think we understand just how important this is to the Christian life. And today's passage has a lot in it about encouragement. In fact, Luke uses a form of the word encouragement twice in this short passage, and then he also uses a related word, strengthen, two times as well, and we're going to look at those very quickly, uh, those words, because in English, they're really easy to define, right? Encourage means to give or impart courage, and to strengthen means to give or impart strength. There's no you know, big mystery to that as far as the words go, but how does one give courage or give strength? And this is where the, the Greek terms that Luke uses are more descriptive and they're more helpful, I think. The, the word translated encourage is from the Greek word parakaleo, which is the same root word Jesus uses in John 16 when he tells his disciples that he's going to send them a paraclete, a counselor, a confidant. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. Literally, parakaleo means to call near. It also translates as exhort, which means to make an urgent appeal. In my mind, uh, I remember when, when the football coach used to say, take a knee, right? And we'd all gather around him. If you've not played football, I'm sure you've seen this in the movies or something. Uh, you know, the coach, he calls everyone to him, right? He, he gathers them to him. Everybody gets down on their knee. Everybody's packed in tight. And then he gives the team you know, a, a, a pep talk, and then they do that, you know, that hoo, hoo, oh, blah, you know, whatever that thing is, the, the, whatever word we're supposed to shout. And then everybody gets kind of fired up, you know, and they, and they get back. And so in this illustration, the coach is, is being the, the, the parakaleo. You know, he is, he's the one who is bringing the team in close so that they can all focus in one direction, and it, it's a way to give them courage. And the other Greek word that's translated strengthen, it, it's tougher to say. I'm not going to bother with it, but the definition is what's important. And that means to reestablish or confirm. And if you're going to forgive another football illustration, um, this makes me think of like when a, when a player, really, when he gets his bell rung really good and another player 
comes over and he grabs his hand and he pulls him to his feet. You know, and he grabs his shoulder and his face mask is like, hey, you okay? You all right? You know, some of you guys, you know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all, you've at least seen it before. And it's, it's kind of a way, the camaraderie and the, the physical effort that you help someone get their bearings and kind of, you know, reorient. And, and that's, that's kind of to strengthen, you know, to get them, to get them set and ready to go again. And, and this is, I feel like this is kind of, these two illustrations will help us maybe be on the same page as we read through this passage because I think we're going to discover ten ways. That's right, ten, but don't worry, they're short. Ten ways that this text can guide us and help us to encourage and strengthen one another as Christians. So we're going to pick up again in verse 30. Uh, remember, the church at Antioch um, just received a letter from the church of Jerusalem. Remember, the guys in Antioch, they're Gentiles, and this letter says you do not have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses to be Christians. So when, uh, when Paul and Barnabas and some other believers were sent off, they came down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, I want you to pause there. Before we get into any of these other ways that they encourage one another, there's a very important point made right here in this verse. I actually missed this when I wrote the outline. And I sent it all to, to Norma, and you know, it was, it was ready to go, and that messenger was like, have you printed the bulletin inserts yet? She's like, no. I said, good, because I just realized I totally skipped over something hugely important. They gathered together. I had to go back and fix it. Right, right there in black and white, it tells us the apostles gathered the congregation together. And I think that it's good for us to recognize that we are encouraged and strengthened when we gather together. Just being Together, there's an old story uh, that D.L. Moody dropped by the home of someone in Chicago. You know, he, he would visit some of the, the citizens there, and um, the subject came up about church involvement, and the man said, I believe I can be just as good a Christian outside the church as I can inside it. Instead of replying, Moody went over to the fireplace, pulled a coal out of the fire, set it on the hearth, and the two of them watched it silently as it died out. And then the other man said, I see. I think that one could argue that it is, it's possible, it's possible to nurture one's faith apart from worship services. I mean, it happens in prison, for example. Um, but the Christian walk was never, never intended to be a solo flight. It wasn't. It, it's unwise to ignore this wonderful gift of fellowship that God has graced us with, being able to gather with other Christians. You know, the author of Hebrews explained why when he said, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching or drawing near. You, you can't encourage and be encouraged by fellow believers in isolation. Okay? It, it, it doesn't happen. And that's why, you know, the, these virtual services, they're handy for people that are, that are sick or highly susceptible to an illness, um, but they're not supposed to be an excuse to stay away from worship indefinitely. It's not supposed to keep you away from the local body of believers. It is a, an essential thing, an essential thing, I believe, for, for Christians to have constant interaction or consistent interaction with other Christians in order to maintain our faith. And corporate worship is one of the best ways to do that. Um, I know this is a subject that's been expressed pretty strongly in lots of different ways, um, you know, for the last couple of years because of the pandemic. 
So um, for time's sake, I'm just going to keep going. But please, friend, if you're at home because you've been burned by a church or, uh, you know, whatever, find another church and plug in there. Or if you're watching here uh, and you're close enough to come, come here and plug in. We'd love to see you. We'd love to, to be with you and encourage you and derive encouragement from you. This is not just for your sake, by the way. I know a lot of folks are like, well, I, if I go to church, you know, I'm not necessarily being fed. And, you know, and it's, well, it's not just your job to be fed. You know? It's your job to come and to feed others. It's a job to come and encourage one another and be a part of the body together. Uh, all right, we'll keep reading. They delivered the letter, and when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. I'll bet they did. I mean, you know, it would have been nerve-wracking to think about having to become Jewish in order to be a Christian and really freeing to know that you don't. But I want you to note, the church in Jerusalem could have relied only on the men that they sent, you know, to convey their, their wishes, but instead they wrote a letter, and I think that's instructive. Because another way that we can encourage and strengthen one another is through writing. Through writing. Some of you all know this. You know, some of you, some of you I know have got the gift of expressing yourself in writing, and you're very thoughtful of others, and you've used this gift to bless your church family. Uh, I know um, Winnie and Donna have both um, you know, spent time as, as part of a card ministry, just sending cards to encourage other people in the church body who are sick or, or just AWOL for whatever reason, um, and, and they, just, they just felt led to do it. You know, and many of you others have, have done the same thing. Um, it's a really great thing to do for at least three reasons. Okay, number one, almost nobody sends or receives letters anymore. You know, we were watching a comedian the other day, a clean comedian. Dry bar comedy is pretty good if you guys are uh, ever into watching comedy that doesn't make you want to hide your kids or whatever. Um, but we were watching this comedian. He was talking about how we're going to have to explain what a letter is to our, you know, our generation. When I was a kid, we used to take a piece of paper, he says. You know, we'd write words on it. And we'd fold it up and put it inside another piece of paper. And it's called an envelope or envelope. I mean, he just goes on. But it's so funny because most people nowadays don't send letters. It's something that we've fallen out of habit, and it's a great thing to do. I mean, we live in this digital age where most of the stuff that ends up in our, in our mailbox is junk mail or bills. Same thing, kind of, in some ways. But it, it gets our intention, you know, when someone reaches out via an actual handwritten note. Secondly, and related to the first, it's a personal touch. I mean, it, it's not unusual to, to, uh, to get an email, but it, it's unusual to get a letter. And it's not just unusual to receive a card or letter. It lets that person know that they didn't just think of you for a moment and fire off a text. You know, they actually had you in their minds long enough to sit down, find a piece of paper and a pen, and write actual words that don't include LOL and ROFL, and, and then they, they paid 54 cents to get it to you. That means something. And thirdly, I know there are some people who save encouraging emails and, and texts and things, and I do too, uh, but it is a lot better, at least to me, to have that concrete evidence that someone cares about me that I can read later. You know, even, even years later, if I don't lose it, and I have a, a, a habit of when I get a really neat, encouraging letter, I'll, I'll save it in a file. Um, you know, uh, I just, Maddie wrote us a note 
Maddie and Jude are on vacation, by the way, so pray for their safety, please. Um, but Maddie wrote us a note and gave it to, to Shannon and me right before she and Judah got married. And it was one of the most encouraging, sweet things, um, basically thanking us for who Judah is. And while the Lord obviously had a whole lot to do with that, um, it was really a blessing. Now, the funny thing is, not only do we still have the letter, but I took pictures of it on my phone. So, uh, you know, I still digitized it. But, um, but it meant something that she would sit, the, you know, sit down and write that on stationery. Writing is an underused and truly valuable way to encourage one another, okay? Enough said. Let's read on. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. So besides just receiving a letter from the church, you know, there's a lot of additional content besides, hey, abstain from these four things, you know? And so we read here, these two men, Judas and Silas, they had the gift of prophecy and they were encouraging and strengthening the brothers with their words. And this is probably a good time to mention that prophecy in Scripture does not always have to mean telling of future events. Right? In fact, it's often a way of referring to forthtelling rather than foretelling. Uh, a, prophet, a prophet is a person who speaks on God's behalf by God's power. And in a sense, this is what biblical pastors do when they preach the word. I just want to put that out there anyway. Um, Maybe the most obvious way to encourage and strengthen your brothers is by speaking words of life to them, lifting them up, exhorting them. Remember, that means to make an urgent appeal, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I have the, the, the immense privilege of getting to do this from the, the pulpit almost every Sunday, but the fact is, we all have the privilege of getting to do that whenever with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can encourage one another with our words. It's better in person, but it can be done over the phone, too, or, or Zoom or FaceTime. People need to see one another and hear affirming words that give us courage and strength to continue in the faith. You know, words matter. Scripture tells us that the power of life and death is in the tongue, meaning that we can, we can give great help or do great damage by the things that we say. One of my favorite passages that I have memorized fairly well, I think, but I, I don't do a great job of, is do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs in order that it may benefit those who listen. That's Ephesians 4.29. So let's resolve to use the gift of speech to encourage and edify one another. All right, let's keep going. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. In other words... After being there a while, most of the men from Jerusalem returned home with the blessing of the Christians of Antioch. And that, that's a pretty neat picture, you know, of, of how the church is really one body, don't you think? I mean, you've got this, this church in Jerusalem that allowed some of their most gifted people to go to Antioch for a while and, and share and use their gifts there while the people in Antioch greatly received them for a time and then graciously gave them leave to go home. And I think this passage is a reminder that sharing resources, or in some cases people, is another way to encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. I have an amazing bride. Um, I know I brag on her a lot, but you would too. Um, so one of her, her many qualities that she has that's beneficial to a pastor's wife is that she is very rarely jealous of my time. And, and don't get me wrong, I mean, if my face is buried in my phone too long, she lets me know. Um, you know, but, but when it comes to visiting people in the hospital or going to breakfast or working out with a brother in Christ or, or you know, I'm trying to disciple or even just letting me go for a walk so I can get my head on straight, she's great. 
And while it might embarrass you, um, maybe a little bit, uh, you know, to, to share these things, I'm holding you up as an example, honey. Um, it's a real blessing to have a partner in life like you. And I hope that you understand how important it is to not always demand the time that other people have. Um, because sometimes that's our, that's our, our ministry time. Um, we have to be willing to share our people and our things, you know, sometimes for the sake of others, especially in a ministry context. And I don't just mean vocational ministry, you know. When, when our gifts are needed, it's good to use them as we're led by the Lord. Now, this is not an excuse for people to just avoid spending time with your families who need you most. Because, guys, that is your immediate, our immediate family is our first church. You need to know that. That's true for the pastor of a church. His immediate family is his first church. And so is yours, okay? I'd be remiss on this Father's Day to let anybody, you know, leave here thinking their number one ministry is outside of their home. My first church is my home. Yours ought to be too. But we must be willing to share one another. So uh, anyway, verse 35, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. Why? They remained in Antioch because God had work for them to do there. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but, but why stick around? They stick around because a big part of encouraging and strengthening our fellow believers is being personally available to one another. Again, being, being available for corporate worship, yeah, that's, that's definitely important, but there's this other 166 hours of the week, you know, that we should make sure that we are available for the needs of another person. It, it, there's something very encouraging about noticing, you know, knowing that, that if there's an emergency, I have several people that I could call to help with whatever's needed, you know, including personal presence. And many of you folks in this room are those people. One of the reasons I'm able to take kids to this, uh, this camp is because we have Aunt Debbie and Uncle Sonny nearby um, who at a moment's notice will just say, sure, we'll take kids. Um, we have also, we've got others who we've, we've got Grandma, Nana who will do it. We've got Dana who will do it. Uh, we've got other folks that are around here that are just willing at any time to help. And that is such a blessing to be personally available. So I hope that you continue to be personally available. Many of you have experienced that kind of love, I think, from this church family. When you find yourself sick, when you find yourself in need, helps literally at your door within minutes. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch because that's where God was using them. They wanted to be personally available to do his work for the people there. And in their case, Luke tells us, that work was teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. That probably means there's a lot of other people that stayed behind from Jerusalem for a while. And I think we might forget sometimes that preaching and teaching of God's word is not just for Sunday mornings. You know that, right? I know it's warm in here, but wake up! <laughs> Sunday mornings is not the only time that you should be experiencing preaching and teaching. Any time that we get together with other believers, we should encourage one another with the word of God and his truth. I was just thinking about it. I'm remiss on that. I, we visited some good friends last night, and we didn't, uh, I didn't say, hey, let's pray before we go. That's on me. Sorry, guys. Um, it's another example of just having people that are available, but it's great. Anyway, um, we should be encouraging one another with God's truth. Jerry Bridges used to say we need to preach the gospel every day, including preaching it to ourselves. And I think that that's right on. 
Because daily, we need to be reminded of who Jesus is and what God has done through him. I mean, think about it. There's seven days in a week. We wouldn't just eat one day, would we? That would be silly. We would starve. And it's the same thing spiritually. We should feed ourselves and one another a steady diet of God's word. And biblically, preaching means proclaiming the gospel and teaching means uh, what we normally think of as, as teaching, both formally and informally, you know, being able to, to impart knowledge to other people, especially you fathers, okay? Because God has called you to be the spiritual leader in your home. Are you preaching the gospel to your wife and your children? I hope so. Do your kids hear you consistently tell them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead? Triumphant. Do your kids understand that they receive eternal life by God's grace through faith and not by being a good person? Are you doing your job, fathers? I hope so. I hope so. Do they also receive consistent, wise teaching from you? And you, do you discipline your kids so that they're encouraged to obey you? If they don't obey you, they're going to have a hard time obeying their heavenly father. Can I get an amen? Do they hear from you that they need to obey God and do they see an example of godly obedience in you? Preaching to myself. It's not just you guys. I certainly hope that our kids see that. I hope our wives are seeing that. Preaching and teaching the Word of God are an indispensable means of encouraging and strengthening believers. The power is in the Word. Continuing, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the Word of the Lord and see how they are. What, what's he suggesting? It's really simple. Visiting, yes. Visiting people to check on them. That's a very important part of encouraging and strengthening others. And look, he's, notice he's not talking about evangelizing new territory here. Paul is saying, let's go to the churches we planted and see how they are. In our context, I think that looks like just dropping by on some, someone, you know, dropping in on one another, even if there's not an emergency, just to see how things are going. And listen, I know, I know this is not the 1950s, and some people really don't like to be dropped in on blind. I know that. I've got that figured out. Some of you had to help me figure that out. Okay, but, but so I'm not suggesting ambushing people, just letting folks know you care by visiting occasionally, especially if you live in the same neighborhood, you know, or you, you pass their workplace on a regular basis. Maybe bring a plate of cookies and, and ask, how are you? You want our cookie to bring us cookies, our address. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> For time's sake, we're going to keep moving. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and who had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Now, we already talked about this a little bit, okay? And while there's no clear answer, I don't think, as to whether Paul or Barnabas was necessarily right or wrong, I think they're probably both right in that moment. Uh, I tend to, take, to think personally, I think in terms of erring on the side of grace. And in this story, Paul was, was obviously very concerned about the, the mission and the task at hand, whereas Barnabas may have been a little more focused on the person of John Mark. And either way, as we noted before, it worked out eventually. But I like how Cousin Barney showed forgiveness and approval 
of someone who had failed him before. I mean, since we serve a God of, of second chances, right, and third and, and gazillionth, you know, I think it's, it's, only, it's only right for us to, to understand this. One way to encourage and strengthen fellow believers is to make every effort not to hold their mistakes against them. Especially when they're repentant, you know. Now, please, please understand that forgiveness in the larger sense, that's not an option for Christians. We don't have, you know, we don't get to choose do I forgive them or not if we're Christians. But here's the thing. We're often quick to say, I forgive them, but I won't forget. And what I'm trying to say here is that we, we can strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ by choosing to overlook the time or times that they've failed us and show that we're willing to give them another chance. Now, here's the thing. Trust is a commodity that is very easily lost and very difficult to win. But we can, listen, we can, we can bestow that grace of forgiveness on someone who is, if they're truly repentant and they're seeking an opportunity to serve the Lord in some way, we really need to be ready to, to, to jump on that. Sometimes, I, I truly believe this, being entrusted with something that we don't deserve to be entrusted with, that's what causes us to rise to the challenge. Grace provides strength. So, anyway, Luke writes, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed. Well, while they, they may have, have disagreed and parted ways, both Barnabas and Paul chose someone to accompany them in their service to the Lord. And I think a great way to encourage and strengthen a brother or sister in Christ is to serve alongside them. It's a great way to be encouraged and strengthened as well. You know, you serve alongside a fellow believer. And actually, you guys may have already picked up on this, but, but all of these kind of go both directions. You know, this is also good ways for you to be encouraged, not just to encourage others. I find having a, a common mission in the Lord with someone else is a great source of strength because it, in that case, you have a yoke fellow that you're pulling the same direction with. It's super valuable. Anyway, Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. The, the word commended there means given over or surrendered up to the mercy of God. And the implication is that there was a lot of prayer and a, a willingness to send Paul and Barnabas on their mission, or Paul and Silas, excuse me, on their mission. And I think that's instructive to us uh, because one of, one of the least direct, but arguably the, the most important way to encourage a brother or sister in Christ, your fellow Christ follower, is to commend them to God through prayer. We should never forget how essential prayer is to our respective ministries and relationships. You know, while, while we can try to help fan the flame in one another, God is the one that can literally provide strength and courage where there was none before. Without God, there's no spark to fan. He provides strength and courage. He is the great giver of all good things 
And the word tells us he wants us to ask him. So let's ask him on behalf of one another. I, I ask that you pray for me and the other elders that we'll have wisdom and boldness and ability to, to lead this congregation in the face of an increasingly hostile culture. And pray for Joyce and other believers all over the world who are struggling with persecution or with social pressures. And pray for one another that God will give us what we need to fight the good fight, and to finish the race, and to keep the faith. Luke ends the sequence by saying that Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Again, he's, he's probably using every one of these tools at his disposal, you know, d- despite coming across a little prickly at times. Um, Paul, he had a warm soul, and he was, he was a master of encouraging and building up others. And he shows examples of each of these in his own life. I think we should too. You know, you and I ought to be striving to be experts at encouraging and strengthening one another for the sake of the kingdom. That's, we ought to be really trying to do this, trying to improve at this. By the way, we'll end on this. It's not really covered in the text, although it's implied, but there is a bonus way you can encourage and strengthen your fellow believers, and especially those who watch over you as part of a local flock. You can walk in the truth. You can live for Jesus and let others see that. That, that is hugely encouraging. The Apostle John, near the end of his earthly life, he, he wrote these words, For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy, he says, than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. If you want us to be encouraged, if you want to encourage your pastor, that's a great way to do it. There is truly no greater joy than seeing the people that you are discipling becoming ever more faithful in the Lord. So walk in truth, friends. But you know what, if, if you're new to the Christian faith, or even if you're not, you, you may wonder, what does that really mean, to walk in the truth? Listen, here's how you start. <laughs> if you've never done it before, you confess Christ before a body of believers, such as this one, and you get immersed, as the Word says to do. It's your first step. 